0: Last week, when I preached on forgiveness, I was astonished at the number of people that came up to me and told me that the message had impacted their lives greatly. Some people came up and sobbed, uh, that they had been suffering from lingering, lingering pain and unforgiveness. And that's what God wants to teach us. That's what this is about. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so I've prayed about this, and this is part two of this sermon. Uh, and we're going to continue to drill down because I recognize that this is an ongoing process. You're not going to be able to have unforgiveness in your, in your life uh, unless you really practice it and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to touch you. And so we want to ask God to continue to teach us and touch us and give us the power and authority to get into these rooted areas that have the bit, bitter pill of, of unforgiveness. And so here's the thing, if you've grown up in an urban area or possibly even New Jersey, uh, you know that growing up, growing up, you took some hits. You took some hits. People were cruel. People were mean, all right? I spent a lifetime in court seeing cruelness and meanness in every possible way. I understand what it is. And so in the human spirit, in the human condition, as you deal with that, Inevitably, what happens is bitterness gets into your life. It's not natural to forgive. It's only through the Holy Spirit that you do forgive. And so what we learn here is that when you don't forgive, the root of bitterness remains in your life. And what happens next is what we will call vengeance. Vengeance. What can I do to get back? How can I inflict pain? They need to know that they hurt me. And so the the sermon title today is, Vengeance is a Bitter Pill. Vengeance is a Bitter Pill. Now when someone does something bad to you or hurts you, you recoil emotionally uh, and immediately you're looking for somebody to make an apology. But when they don't make that apology immediately, there begins to be a gap between you and that person, and that gap needs to be resolved. Uh, and so if they don't offer that apology, as time goes by, bitterness enters your heart. And the next thing that enters your heart as, as bitterness percolates is vengeance. Vengeance is the natural progression of bitterness in your heart, where you say to yourself, they are going to pay for that. Now, maybe that's not you. Maybe it's just me. Uh, but I think that's not the case. I think we all are like that. They are going to pay for that. Uh, and so if we do not choose the way of forgiveness, if we do not choose, the, that need for reconciliation will, will really move in many other different ways. will hold and nurse the hurt. We'll review it in our mind. We talked about this last week. Take this out of your mind. Stop rehearsing it. Stop going over it. Uh, And because what happens next is you plan for revenge. You're going to look for a chance to get back. And that's all you think about and percolate on that. Uh, And then you feel delighted when you hear that something bad has happened to that person. Now, maybe you don't say it publicly, but in your heart, you know what I mean. Oh, yeah good. They deserved it. Let them take a good spoonful of what they fed me. This is not how God wants us to live. Uh, and we need to come to terms with this. I want to give you a powerful way to walk with Christ, because if this is in your heart, your prayers are not going to be answered. All right? God wants you to walk in holiness. And so bitterness becomes unfulfilled revenge. It's, it's an internal component created by hurt or bitterness. Uh, And when we do not forgive someone, the root remains in our heart, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And Hebrews 12, verse 14, speaks to this very issue. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here's what happened. When you have a root growing in your heart, what do you get? You get fruit. This isn't fruit of the spirit. This is fruit of evil. And that's what you get in your heart. And so we have to come to terms with this issue of the root of bitterness. And what you see here is the antidote that God is giving us to live in peace, to promote peace, to live a holy life, to walk with Christ, to forgive these people. Don't let this unforgiveness remain in your life. Don't let the grace of God fall short. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's filled you with the grace of God. Embrace it. Ask him to empower you and allow you to forgive. Uh, And so here's the thing. If you do not, the root of bitterness will continue to grow. Now, as I wrote this sermon and I studied for it, I came upon a new study that was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Now, I know you're going to find it hard to believe that your pastor is going to cite the Journal of Social Psychology in church But I was stunned, really stunned, to see the results of this study in this very secular magazine. Uh, And it weighs the benefits of forgiveness against revenge in repairing one's self-worth after a dehumanizing or victimizing issue. And so what they did is they set up control groups. They set up three groups. They had one group that was unaffected by any issue. They had a second group that was uh, inflicted a a painful experience and told to reflect on that painful experience, but to forgive those people that have inflicted that experience. And the third group, they were told with the painful experience, look for revenge. In your mind, focus on revenge. Focus on getting even. And so that was the study. And they found something astonishing they found that those people in the second group, those people that even though they had been hurt but practiced forgiveness, had the same expectations and feelings as the first group that had no pain. But the third group that was involved in expressing revenge and bitterness uh, remained in what they called a dehumanized state, emotional, superficial, and animalistic Relevant, rel, uh, relative to those who imagined no offense occurred. How about that? Science mimics Jesus. Science mimics the Bible. On the other hand, participants who imagined forgiving the offender felt just as human as those who experienced no pain at all. And so the study suggested to these researchers that forgiveness... Forgiveness can fully rehumanize victims by an offense. How about that science? You're citing what Jesus told us 2000 years ago. All right? And so I'm giving you this because I want you to understand that this is not just the Bible speaking, that now it's being borne out by science and by studies. This is the importance of understanding this, because this root of bitterness, this lack of forgiveness in your heart will affect you physically, will affect you emotionally, and will affect you spiritually. It is a metastatic disease that we have to treat. The conclusion of the study, I think I'll have it on the board, says this. The research suggests that forgiveness is a transformative process that involves releasing negativity towards the aggressor uh, and possibly increasing positivity and feelings of benevolence towards them. It is considered a moral response rooted in the virtues of mercy, unconditional love, and generosity. And because of its pro-social nature, it is treated as morally superior to a strict adherence to justice. Wow! Are you kidding me? Are you reading the Beatitudes, John? No, I'm reading a secular study done by social research, the conclusion is it is morally superior to a strict adherence to justice. And so if you go through life going, I want justice, I want justice, all I can tell you is you don't really want justice, all right? You want mercy, all right? And I, and I used to laugh when people would come to me and say, I really, I want justice. We have to go to court. I want justice. And I could tell you almost never do you get justice in court. Almost never, you know. Sometimes, merely by accident, you get justice. But you see that here in this study, morally superior to a strict adherence to justice. Now, let's let's focus on what happens in your mind as you're hurt and vengeance develops, because this is important. These are the steps. First, you're hurt or offended, and you have to decide: you're hurt or offended. Uh, do you forgive? all right, and cancel the debt, debt, or is there vengeance? You're waiting for the apology. It doesn't come, and so now you move to step two, right? You move to step two. You concoct in your mind how you're going to get vengeance, uh, and you're going to devise ways for the offending party to pay. Do you realize what goes on? All the amount of energy that's spent on this, uh, and as you're devolving into a state of evil, not to a state of grace, Uh, And I understand what I'm saying is not easy you think it's easy for me I was wired man if you touched me you did something bad I was wired to reach back out and to hurt you But God has really changed my heart on this and I have had to learn to forgive even as I walk in this world Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 19 This is why you have to live this way do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. How about that? God's authority is to avenge, God's authority is to redress the wrongs, not yours. Not yours. We walk with Him, and so we give it to Him. Uh, and that verse comes out of Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. It is mine to avenge, saith the Lord. And we have to learn that. Uh, Leave room for God's wrath, because here's what's happening. You do your thing in order to effect a revenge, and you take God out of the picture. And God's way is so far superior to your way, because God wants to do it in such a way that he can salvage the aggressor, that he can salvage that person that hurt you, that even as he addresses you, and pours grace into your heart that he allows that other person to understand what he did wrong. Uh, And so we have to understand this. As you look to God uh, to take our revenge, we must remember that he is loving and long-suffering. We may not want to hear this. And some of us would rather God burn their house down, (laughs) visit them with pain, let them know what they did with me. But you have to understand your God is a loving God. He is a patient God, and he is kind. Uh, And so his way of revenge and wrath is entirely different than yours. And I'm going to give you a crystallized example of this, as I've studied this, in Psalm 23. You may not have thought about it in this way, but God has given this to me. Look at Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now listen to this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let me stop. You're going to walk through dark valleys. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be visited with pain. People are going to do cruel things to you. You're going to feel that pain. But God is saying to you, even as you're walking through those experiences, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to comfort you. That's what you have that the world doesn't have. Then look at the next set of verses in a way that I think you've never thought about it before. You, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Why are you preparing a table in the presence of mine enemies? Because he wants to show the ungodly how they can't hurt you. He wants to show the ungodly how he loves you, even as they do terrible things to you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In other words, it's not just that God protects you. It's not just that he walks with you. He's putting a table in the presence of your enemies and asking you to sit there because he's making you an example to them. Can you imagine? You see? You can't hurt them. You see? You think you're visiting pain on them, but I'm with them. Look at how I'm blessing them. Looking how I walk with them. In this very church, you see, this very building and everything that's going on is an example of the mercy of God that God has given us this place and brought us here when so many of us have had bitter experiences in so many other places. Look at what he has done. This is really preparing a table before our enemies. Uh, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You understand? This is why the root of bitterness has to be taken away. Because God wants to use you as an example. He wants to show you and lift you up and affirm you. Let your enemies see, look what it means to walk with me. Look how I bless these people. Look how I take, how I take care of them. And so you see, God tells us that it's his job to do vengeance in a way that we would never do it before. Why else would he prepare a table uh, before my enemies? Clearly, he's delivering a message to those enemies as well as you. God does not take revenge the way we do. Let's understand this. They are completely different. Humans want someone to suffer. That's how we define revenge. I want someone to feel pain. But God's method is different, and you see it here in the 23rd Psalm. He is blessing you instead of harming you. He's affirming you and lifting you up. And he's demonstrating to your enemies that you're prospering. That they couldn't hurt you. That what they thought was evil, that he made it right. Uh, and so the purpose of this is God wants them to be godly jealous. Godly jealous. Uh, he wants to admire what you have. And to lift up what you have. To give them the, the understanding of this is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to walk in God, and this is what God does. He wants them to admire and to woo them into coming to salvation and to have better behavior. Now, perhaps this is why we sometimes continue to bump into people that have hurt us. Have you experienced that? People have hurt you, and you wind up coming coming together with them, seeing them often. You ever wonder, why? God, why are you doing this to me? I don't want to see these people. I don't want to see it, but I believe God wants them to see you. God wants them to see how you're prospering. God wants them to see how he's blessing you. Uh, Perhaps the offender needs to have a very clear picture of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, He has to see what the goodness is in your life, how God has lifted you up, even though they have inflicted pain to you. This is how God deals with us and deals with our enemy. And so when we really reflect on this aspect of God's character, especially as I think about the 23rd Psalm, we become convicted about our own sense of unforgiveness. I'm convicted. Here he is preparing a table before my enemies to bless me, to use me. And what do I do? I sit there and I percolate. All right? I forget what he has done for me. I'm not not signing on. For what he has done for me. Uh, instead of asking God to crush our enemies, let me instead practice forgiveness. Let me ask God to have the Holy Spirit touch my heart uh, and, and be there with me to give me the strength to have that kind of life. Look, there's one more thought about vengeance. And while Jesus was innocent and being crucified on the cross for your sins and for my sins, he asked God not to hold this injustice to those who are crucifying him. This is incredible mercy, that the God of the universe sitting there on the cross uh, would say this, Uh, and, and someone had a very good picture of what this is like. It's as if Jesus is dying on the cross, and Satan is there at the bottom of the cross, and he looks to find a boulder with Jesus' name on it, representing sin, but he can't find one. He picks up another one it has got your name on it. And he throws it at Jesus. Jesus catches it and disappears. And what Satan finds is that instead of having these boulders strewn around uh, with all of our names on it, Christ has taken them and dissolved it. It's moved away. This is what's gone on. And you sit there and refuse to ask God to give you the ability to forgive. Even as Jesus has done this for you, when you think of it this way, I can no longer look for vengeance. Rather, I look for mercy and have God's Spirit fill my heart to help me to be better, to walk with him in every possible way. When you forgive people, you do the same thing. You take the hurt out of circulation. Look, it's not your response to, react, to make vengeance. It's not your responsibility to go and attack that person. We bow to God we forgive, we ask God to anoint us, and he blesses you, and he lifts you up even as he puts a table for you in the presence of your enemies. You know, that study that I referred to at the beginning of this sermon found other benefits uh, from forgiveness, such as feeling a stronger sense of belonging to a human community, indicating that their morality... How about this? Their morality was more central to who they are, and they experienced a lower propensity towards self-harm. Do you ever wonder about people who have harmed themselves? Think about what's going on in their lives, the bitterness, the anger that sits there and percolates and metastasizes. And then the conclusion that I've put there on the board says that the conclusion was that forgiveness can have meaningful impacts on how people treat themselves and others. As they concluded this study, the researchers said, quote, if you choose to engage in this process, understand that forgiving does not mean excusing the transgressor or releasing the transgressor from being accountable for their behavior. How about that? You heard that. Described last week in the sermon. So your, your position, even as you forgive, doesn't mean you have to forget, all right? You forgive and you move on. You forgive and you don't seek vengeance. You forgive as you pull the root of bitterness out. You forgive as you no longer rehearse in your mind, well, what he did to me, and when I see him, I'm gonna do this. None of that matters because you reflect what God has done. He prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Wow, God, you are so great. You can take the most bitter things that I have suffered and lift them up and affirm me and teach me and help me to grow and help me to walk and yet be an instrument of change as people who have hurt me will see this and whose lives can be changed. Look, we've all heard about practicing random acts of kindness. I love that thought, I love that thought. When you don't forgive, uh, and when you function in the eye for an eye mentality, what you do is you diminish the joy in this world. You diminish the joy in your heart. How can you possibly be joyful and walk around in a joyful way when you're continuing to nourish that hurt In your heart. But when you choose rather to be intentional and look for an opportunity to be generous and kind and love and merciful, when you do that, you make the world a better place. And you make yourself a better place. As the Spirit of God descends on you, as the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do this. Look, we can't do this on our own, but you've been saved. The Spirit of God is in your heart. He's given you the authority and power to do this. Now, the next test here is how do you know that you have successfully forgiven someone? How do you know as you've gone through this process? Because I want you to do that. Well, one sign that you have forgiven someone is when their name comes up in a conversation, and now you don't have to engage in what they did and telling other people what they did to you. You can let it go by. You can let that name just pass you by. You don't have to revisit the pain. Uh, And so you see this. uh, And Jesus is the greatest example of that. As he stood there on the cross, nailed as his malefactors, you know, heaped scorn upon him. He looked to God and he prayed, Father, forgive them for what they do. They know not what they are doing. Can you imagine? Here he is, the God of the universe, sitting there. And he says that even as he's dying. That's the the ultimate example of forgiveness. True forgiveness does not look for someone to pay for the offense. That's a hard one. But we walk with God. He's preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. All right? He's using the examples of our life to teach others, He's lifting us. He's blessing us. Have you ever focused on all the blessings of your life, even though you've been hurt and embittered? He still lifted you up. He still advanced you because he wants the world to see what a Christian does and how he, he loves you and does it, even in the presence of your enemies. Jesus did not come to condemn people. Rather, he came to set them free from the judgment of sin. That's what it's about that's why he's putting that table in the presence of, of your enemies. He wants them to see what sin is doing to them, and he wants to see, let them see how you, you've been freed from the bondage of sin. Now, there's another poignant story of forgiveness in Scripture that's found in Acts chapter 7. It involves Stephen, one of the seven deacons of the early church, <laughs> and you, you see his great kindness and generosity as this man was promoted Uh, And as he promoted, this man would speak publicly. And here's this guy who, even though he didn't have any formal religious training, he didn't study Theology 101, and yet God really put his Holy Spirit on him, and this man became a dynamic speaker. And one of the greatest sermons found in the entire Bible is found in Acts chapter 7. And what happened here is that the religious elite hated Stephen because he was so dynamic and poignant in his messages that convicted them as he spoke about Jesus. And so here he is in Acts chapter 7, in his speech before the Sanhedrin, where he will be executed shortly thereafter, he brings the story of Moses alive to these religious elite uh, and teaching them that they never obeyed God, that they never honored the prophet, and he indicted the entire Religious elite. Look at the words in Acts chapter 7, verse 35. And this is Stephen. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and delivered by God Himself through the angel who appeared to Him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to press on to them. But, 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 And here's the point of the sermon. Our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. The only thing that happened to him is he was up for 40 days on Mount Sinai getting the commandments. Do you understand how the religious elite, how the hypocrisy had percolated itself? And so here he is, indicting them, letting them know what what they've done. And now you see the sense of unforgiveness in the religious elite. Instead of coming to terms and saying, God, forgive us, Father. God, forgive us. Thank you for sending this man who is delivering the word of God, what happens? The root of bitterness grows and vengeance wreaks itself. And this is what you see. And what did they do? They went out, they grabbed him, and they stoned him to death. For what? For no other reason than he delivered the word of God to them. This is what happens when evil lives. This is what happens when evil exists In our lives. And look, really, look at what he said. There he is as the stones are raining down. And by the way, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul at that point, he was no apostle yet, is sitting there collecting the clothing, the coats of the offenders, so that they were free to stone and kill Stephen. And he saw it, and he was affected deeply by this. And so there he stands, Stephen, as the stones are raining down on him, and he looks and he sees heaven open up, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he utters these famous words, which is really the paradigm of forgiveness. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Can you imagine? Do not hold this sin against them as they kill me, as they take me out of this world. And so Stephen died, but no greater sermon was ever heard And as he asked God to forgive them for what they had done to him. The bottom line is as I bring this sermon together the bottom line is that when we can pray blessings and success over the people who have wounded us, there is a high probability that the healing process is complete. What if at this point you admit to yourself, I cannot act like this? Lord, I'm sorry. I cannot act like this, I'm not wired like this. Well, I would say this, depending on the size of the hurt and the the size of the bitterness in your heart, uh, there is a real possibility that it does not mean that you're broken or cold-hearted. Rather, you need more time to heal. This doesn't happen overnight. You have to ask God to help heal you, to take the hurt away, to let you see how he's blessing you. To let you realize that he's preparing a table before your enemies. To show them how he's blessing you. And to recognize that all this is going on. And ask God to help you in the process. Ask God to walk with you. Ask God to affirm you. And so when you do this, the Holy Spirit will begin healing you and allowing you to do this. I submit to you that if you do this, the presence of God in your heart will allow you to forgive, will allow that pain to be taken away, and it will give you a powerful stake, a powerful stake in the kingdom of God as your prayers are going to be answered, as you walk and become more constrained to the cross. We need to remember what Jesus did on the cross. If you think about what Jesus did on the cross for you, and how he forgave you all your sins. Why can't you mimic him and begin to forgive those who have hurt you? Amen, church? Let's bow our heads as we bring this to a conclusion. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for, for the words that you've given us. Lord, we recognize that we need to come to terms with this issue in our heart. We need to recognize that so many of us have this lingering bitterness and root in our heart that we have not pulled it out and we walk around it handicapped and limping and not being able to have our prayers answered. Father, only you can deliver us. And so I ask you today on behalf of our entire church as we bow before our throne, convict us, empower us, allow us, Lord, to come to terms with this issue. Allow us to understand that you have prepared a table before our enemies, that you are using us, that you want us to grow, that you're blessing us and affirming us, and in that very act are demonstrating to those who hurt us what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.